and kind of figuring it out as you go. I'm from a long line of people that would do that. So I'm surrounded by family that I I used to say that I'm self-taught, but the reality is I'm, I'm taught by my surroundings, by the people I grew up with, by the people who, who raised me and, and even friends and family. Let's talk quality, family business, and American-made tools. Bits and Bits offers all three and more. They make all types of bits, CNC bits, router bits, engraving cutters, even custom bits if you need. The list goes on. Everything you want for your shop, you can get at BitsBits.com. It's their name, but it's also what they do. They are first and foremost a manufacturer. They actually make their own products in their own Pacific Northwest American factory. And for over 30 years, they've been a family business. So if you want to talk about a company that stands behind their product, you're talking about Bits and Bits. They are also a full Festool and Whiteside distributor. But what really stands them apart in my mind, besides manufacturing their own product, is their exclusive Astra coating. They put it on everything they make and it extends the life of a bit no matter if you're using it in wood, metal, or plastic. Want to know more? Just check out BitsBits.com. That's B-I-T-S, B-I-T-S dot com. Check them out for all your Bits needs. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Brian Orquist, owner of the furniture company Old Mountain Woodworking. With his hands in so many different parts of the industry, furniture making, CNC work, wood milling, lumber drying, exotic imports, teaching classes, and more, Brian has to make sure his foundation in each part of these practices is solid enough that he can take on clients in any part of his business and it won't cause issues with the rest of the parts running smoothly. So how does he do it? Follow along as we talk about reaching out to community, competition mindset versus creative mindset, working together with your spouse, and much more. So let's start the episode and hear about Brian's story in his own words. Not necessarily building furniture, but building anything, taking things apart and putting them back together. My mom has a story that she shares. She would always say uh, I was the only one of the kids that she would trust with her uh, sewing scissors <laughs> because she knew I wasn't going to cut myself and she knew I was going to actually make something. But fast forward up to about 2010, 2011, I built a custom beer pong table. And that was kind of the start of leading into building furniture. So I built it and then a lot of uh, friends and family wanted to use it for parties. I ended up toting it around and people would use it for parties. It had uh, flowing water, uh, so you no need for a, for a water cup. Then it, it got so popular with, with friends and family and their friends. One of my family members said, uh, you should really get this thing uh, patented in, in case it spirals out and becomes something even bigger. So I said, okay. Um, then I jumped into the patent process, patented it. Uh, it took a while but, and, a, and a lot of time and resources, but got it patented. And I own that patent now up. So that was the that was the start off with the with the real furniture. I've always been hands on, build something rather than buy it. And I could probably build something better than you could buy it anyway. So why 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 buy it? And it's always been that way. My previous employer before going full time, um, I saw it for a while. It was just a means to an end. Uh, I used my income from that to purchase tools, to build the workshop up, to 
pretty much finance growing my furniture business and, and getting the correct tools that I needed to get started. Back in the start of the pandemic was um, when my company offered a buyout, take a package, because uh, they were doing layoffs, they were doing uh, a lot of things. And um, I saw it as the perfect opportunity for me. I used to have an, uh, an eye twitch from the nerves and the, and the stress of working for a different company. And I, I tell my wife all the time, like, and other people too, my my eye twitch went away that day. It was gone. It was like, all right, now I, I can smooth sail into what I was meant to do. I want to get into how you're obviously building the business from part-time to full-time to where you are now, but I want to stay sort of in your mental head for a little bit and ask you about this idea of mindset. And I know that you played a lot of competitive sports growing up and you have that competitive athletic mindset and a lot of people who start furniture companies, you think they're going to have more of an artistic mindset that they want to get into this because they like creating things and they like building things. But there are a lot of people out there who have this competitive mindset and they're in their shop making things and they, they want to be for lack of a better word, the best at it. They want to push themselves. They think that this is this is a mountain to climb, that every job is a is something to conquer. So can you talk about your competitive mindset versus your artistic mindset when you're thinking about your furniture company? Oh, absolutely. I love it when the two of those, creative mindset and competitive mindset, collide, and then they kind of make a baby together. It's great. Uh, I've always been competitive. All the little things with the Mamba mentality that uh, that Kobe had said ring true in my mind about the amount of time you put into something and how many years you can be ahead of somebody because of the effort you've put in. And if you keep putting in that effort, you're only going to become more and more years ahead of the people behind you. So I've got that. And then the artistic side, I tend to get bored pretty easily. So if I'm not doing something that's original, I want to search for something original to do, or if it's been done already, I don't necessarily want to focus on doing it. I do, uh, because sometimes that's what the build requires. But if I don't have something else going on that's searching for something that hasn't been done, and in woodworking and furniture, that is difficult. That is really difficult, um, trying to find something that has not been done, or at least hasn't been done in a way that, that brings new light to it, I guess. And then the combination of mixing art with furniture is also always on my mind. But I do have a book. <laughs> I do have a book that has, I was just looking through it this morning, a lot of original ideas that have not been done, or at least I haven't seen them done. And maybe they haven't been done for good reason, but I still want to do it. And it keeps me, keeps me motivated to do something, to move forward with with original ideas and avoid that imposter syndrome of, of doing something that somebody else is already doing and possibly doing better than you. So uh, start off with something fresh and, and new and you don't have to worry about that. Having a lot of ideas is what gets you up in the morning and writing them down in your book and being able to, to hold on to them keeps you motivated and keeps you excited about what you're doing, but you're also doing custom furniture. And so all your ideas can fill as many books as you want, but if you're doing custom furniture, then sometimes you need to bow to what your client wants. So how are you keeping that that balance of 
your ideas and wanting to push yourself forward and wanting to continue to make something that excites you, but you have to make what the client wants and what makes them happy and fulfill their ideas that might not necessarily and usually don't match up exactly with what you think the project should look like. Now, this is something that kind of sets me apart, or at least I hope it sets me apart from a lot of other people. Uh, my clients seek me out most of the time. My clients are finding me from um, not social media, but through, uh, through a Google search or they find my website or they're referred by someone and they find my website. And a conversation that I have with my clients almost every single time is if you want to see my best work, then you have to let me do what I do. So if there might be specific parameters, for example, for a dining table, they might need it built a particular size. But if I'm given that creative liberty of making it in my style, the way that I, I work, you know, they sought me out for a reason. They found my work uh, for a reason. So if they've got a few specifics of the way that they want it to be, then I can work within that. But it's also on me. It's my task to let them know woodworking wise, what's going to work and what's not going to work. Um, and direct them in a way because the things that I build, I want to last lifetimes. I don't want it to just be used for a time and then no longer there. So it's a, it's a combination of taking what those people want, what the client needs, and kind of asking for that trust, for that creative liberty to put my touch on it and, and make it what I believe it needs to be made. Because that artistic element comes in also where if I see certain pieces of the wood want to be shown, I want to show it. It's that, art, that artist where, um, sure, the, creative, the, the creativity can come in or the craftsmanship can come in with the way that you build, but you don't know exactly what a piece of wood is going to look like or a piece of material is going to look like until you cut into it. And if you see an opportunity, then if you're given the creative freedom to, to move forward with that, then it really ends up just bringing the piece out and, and making it that much more of a statement piece than making it just another piece that you've built. Trust from a client is a beautiful thing. And I think everybody who builds furniture wants that trust from their client that they can build what they think needs to be built and then drop it off and the client's going to be happy with that. But there is that that in between of trust from the client and the reality of when you drop it off and if they like it, how are you explaining to the client or showing the client or walking the client through the steps of what the table's going to look like in your mind so you don't design it, build it, and drop it off and they say, we trust you, but this isn't what we wanted? Um, I've had that happen one time, one time, and it created a new rule in my shop. But the way that that trust is established and the way the trust is kept is through an open line of communication. If they want to know progress and want to know how I'm doing and how things are looking or if there's a particular part of the, uh, the build that they are not quite sure about, maybe I'll mock something up and make, make it ahead of time so they can see it in physical real space because a lot of people don't have the ability to see things unless they are actually seeing the item in front of them. I can see things almost like a, a complete rendering of the object in, in my mind before I even build it, uh, whether it's joinery or uh, completed build. I don't need to use, even though there are amazing tools like SketchUp and like, um, like other, other 3D rendering tools, 
I don't use them very often. Uh, it's, it's kind of rare because I can sketch something out and draw it in a way and show the client and say this is this is what's in my mind. But the real the real thing that that keeps um, everything cohesive is when I'm building is sending a picture of the uh, of the actual build and say this is what I was talking about. This is where we're at. I'm not going to make this cut unless I get this go ahead from you. It's going to stay this way and let them make the decision on the fly because that's the element of, of custom furniture. Why, why not have that there for a custom piece when you, otherwise you would just go to the store and, and buy it there. If, uh, if you want that custom element, then you need that custom feedback from me. I can, I can give that. And so far it's worked out great. It, there's been one instance where it didn't and uh, I've learned from that and both, both of us parted ways. It was okay. <laughs> but um you know, for the most part, everything just stays stays uh, nice and easy and, and flows nicely. And un, until that changes or in, unless anything changes, I'm going to keep going that way. You hinted twice about what you said is a new rule in your shop that you had to make. So now I have to ask you what what that new rule was and, and why you needed to put it in. So, yeah, uh, I have no problem, no problem at all sharing what that new rule is, <laughs> because you'll notice if, uh, if anyone looks on my website or looks through my Instagram feed, uh, there's one thing that you will have a very, very hard time finding. I'm not going to say it's impossible to find, but I'll say you'll have a very hard time finding it. And it's because of this rule. So the rule is no stain. No stain. I don't do stain. If you want... Um, particular wood color, then I'm going to find wood that is that color. I'm going to do a clear coat or I'm going to do, depending on what kind of finish is going to go on it, it, it would be hard to find something on my, on my website or on anywhere for, that I've built that has stain or, because there's difference. There's, there's stain, there's dyes, there's ink, there's a whole bunch of different slew. There's reactive stains that I don't even like them being called stains. Um, but wood is going to react differently and it's a natural process. It's not necessarily a pigment that's being added to the wood, but I really, uh, I, I sway away from now doing any kind of stain specifically with custom builds, specifically with trying to match existing, uh, furniture. Now I get around that by way of two things. Um, I have no problem doing a build and building it to an extent where the end client or contractor or designer can put stain on it then that's on them but i do not uh i do not match anything anymore and i, I feel like in some cases it's, re it's really a disservice to the wood because the wood is beautiful all by itself and in other cases it's just i i don't want to try to match something that is an art and a craft and a skill in and of itself finishers that that match stain it's something that requires years i mean i spent a year calendar year focused on nothing but um but finishes but clear coat finishes so th there's there's a lot of different things <laughs> that can be added into these clear coat finishes to make uh different colorations and everything but that is not that's not my focus maybe it will in, in the future i'm not going to say i won't ever touch on that but as of right now stain is stain is the rule it's it's the s word in my shop my kids are not allowed to use it i'm not allowed to use it Let's talk about timelines. And for your business, you and your wife both split the business side of this company. But you, for the most part, are the only person actually building in the shop. 
And the projects you build, if you look through your social media and your website, they're pretty big tables. They're pretty big projects. You have the capabilities to go big with your furniture, and you usually do. But with big projects come longer timelines. And if you're the only person doing it and building it, then all that work falls on you. And you talked about with your clients with custom stuff that you walk them through the process and you'll send them pictures and send them updates and say, I won't make this cut till you give the okay. And that's going to add to timelines because people go back and forth and, and want to make decisions, but it's not always right then and there. So let's talk about your, your timelines, your scheduling, how you decide how long a project is going to take and how you queue up all the other projects behind it to make sure you don't fall further and further behind if one client or one project is moving slower than you anticipated. Uh, yeah, so I have pretty much streamlined my process of how it's going to work, which is really important. With any of those big builds, I've got only a certain amount of space in my shop for them, so I can any of the, the bigger, bigger tables like um, you know, 12 foot, 13 foot, 14 foot bar top or, or table, I've only got a definitive amount of space in the shop where I can place things. And a lot of the time, typical timeline um, is anywhere from, give or take, it, it's, it's anywhere from six to 10 weeks. Six to 10 weeks from date of deposit. A lot of my timeline is actually absorbed by uh, wood acclimating. So I let the wood acclimate in the shop. Now, when I'm doing a big slab table or if I'm doing, uh, it depends on the lumber because this, this goes into my, my knowledge of, of wood movement. A big slab is going to move a lot differently than a, a bunch of, you know, sticks of lumber that come in that are, you know, two inches thick and, and eight inches wide and let's say 14 feet long. So something like that's going to be a lot different than a slab that's three inches thick coming into the shop and different grain direction. So I let the wood acclimate for at least two weeks before I actually surface it or, or machine it or, um, or mill it down to a, a flat workable surface. So a lot of that time frame is eaten up there. And, you know, the, the client always loves to see the before and after of rough cut to first surfacing of showing what it looks like. And I do have the CNC machine. The CNC machine does handle a lot of that, so I don't have to huff around. Um, I use my planer less and less nowadays because it's just easier. I'm not getting any younger, so I don't need to be lifting heavy pieces and throwing them through the planer. Uh, smaller pieces can go through there, but even then, like I rely on the CNC machine a lot to to surface material and and bring things down to size. But staying within that time frame is a matter of making sure I've got areas clear in the shop to move things from one station to the next. And sometimes I've got to tell clients. <laughs> sometimes clients are a little indecisive on exactly what they want, so that does slow things down. So the time frame I give at the beginning of the uh, the build. Before, uh, before deposit is received, and then once we have a deposit. Um, my wife is the one who tends to keep me in check. Sabrina is, is good to say, hey, you said this was gonna be six to 10 weeks. Well, we're gonna tell, the, I'm the one who's actually writing up the, the, everything going to the client. So what we're actually gonna put in here and what you need to relay to them is you know, eight to 12. Um, so she'll give a buffer and nine times out of 10, I'm thanking her for it because she's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> I tend to have the process in my mind and she tends to see the reality of the build and and uh from ahead of schedule on things that's great but um you know very rarely fall behind um but if I do fall behind there was a build that I fell behind on recently and that that was uh mainly because of the customer's lumber I had the, the reclaimed barnwood table I had to order a specific wood miser bimetal blades to be able to cut through it because there was a lot of embedded metal and there was no way around it uh, the the wood had shrank around the embedded nails and <laughs> i needed to cut through them and that was eventful you have a lot going on in your shop and we don't really have time to get into it all but you have your furniture company your custom furniture you have your importing wood exotic slabs you have your lumber services uh, slicing local wood up and drying it you have your cnc business that you take on extra work and you also do classes as well so there's a lot going on behind the scenes can you talk about what your mindset is when you're learning a new part of your business and how you're you're doing so many things. How are you making sure you understand what you're doing and what you're adding to your business in a way that you feel comfortable putting it out there to clients and offering your services without the fear of not actually understanding the things that you're doing and it coming back to bite you? Absolutely. So first of all, I know that I'm not alone. The community that we have, the, the amount of people you can reach out to and the amount of people that will actually give you answers back. Um, there's a wealth of knowledge on the internet. There's a wealth of knowledge on social media through, you know, people like Mark Spagnolo, who's shared his whole woodworking experience. Guys like Izzy Swan, Matt Cremona. I look up to a lot of these guys, Andy Klein. I look up a lot of their information and I'll see it and then I'll take it and I'll apply it. Uh, also, books like Wood with an exclamation point on it by Eric Meyer uh, also has the website, uh, the Wood Database. It's extremely helpful as far as learning different wood species and wood movement and uh, what woods are used for, where the locale is. A lot, of, a lot of things I highly recommend to anybody who's in woodworking to, to get that book or to look at that website. But everything else is a lot of trial and error and kind of figuring it out as you go. I'm from a long line of people that would do that. So... Um, surrounded by family that I, I used to say that I'm self-taught, but the reality is I'm, I'm taught by my surroundings, by the people I grew up with, by the people who, who've raised me and, and even friends and family. Understanding everything, um, I think the confidence in it comes from first doing it for myself. And if I do it for myself and it works out beautifully and perfectly, then I can pass that along without worry. Uh, certain processes that I've developed um, for drying wood, for milling, like I mill things. Some of my clients that I mill for, uh, they just want, you know, rough cut deck boards for trailers. And well, my mindset is more geared around lumber for building furniture. So when they get the deck boards, I've had a couple times they're like, really? Like, this is what you're giving us? And I get nervous at first when I hear that, but then like, this is too nice to put on my, my trailer deck. I'm like, well, that's the quality of lumber that I'm going to cut. I'm not going to get, you know, all the, the stuff that you're going to have problems with. You're going to, you're going to have good stuff. And then the, uh, the kiln drying, I, you know, dry it as if I was drying it for my own, uh, my own furniture, because a lot of times my stuff is going in the kiln also. So, um, and then I have other resources that I go to for uh, stuff when I don't have particular uh, lumber. 
the furniture building is is always with the mindset of I want it to outlast me. I want it to outlast my kids. I want it to outlast like anyone who has it. I don't want it to. I don't want somebody to jump on it or climb on it and then have it have it fall apart. So if um, if I can't jump on it, actually recently the table I dropped off to a client, I had him stand on top of it so I could fasten the bolts on the underside of it. Um, and he was like, "This thing doesn't move." Well, it shouldn't. <laughs> wood move, wood movement will happen, but when you stand on top of it, it's it's solid. So, so it's just been a culmination of making sure everything is tried and true before it goes out. You said something a while ago in our conversation that I really want to jump back on, and it's on the the business side of it and how you're bringing in clients. And you said that you're not getting your clients from social media. You're getting them from web searches and people coming in that way. Getting clients is a big problem in this industry. So can you talk about how you've developed your website and your web search and your online presence to be able to bring clients in that way? This is where I get to talk about my wife because she's the one who gets to shine right now. She's the one who went into learning exact keyword searches and uh, different methods of when people do a Google search, if we're going to pop up, in what regions, how it's going to pop up, what, what she, she gets uh, all the credit. She's very humble. She often says she doesn't know what she's doing, but the truth is she's doing an amazing job with it. And it's, it's all credit to her for that. One of these online companies called up one day, um, answered the phone and you know, she's talking to them and they're, they're trying to, um, this is somebody that's trying to promote advertising or try to promote business leads for, for client leads. And they said, oh, do us a favor and, you know, go on Google right now. Just type in your, your business name or type in this keyword or whatever and see where you pop up. Like, we can help you with that. So you show up. And uh, so she did this like two or three times. And every single time we were either the first, second or third that popped up. And by the time that was done, she was able to tell them, like, well, there's nothing you can really help us with. We're already popping up first. So thanks, but no thanks. She gets all the credit for that. So a lot of times, and we also do every single time we get a new client, we want to know. We ask them, you know, where did you hear about us or, or where, did you, where did you find us? And most of the time, it's just from doing a Google search, whether it was on Google Maps or Google. Uh, it's just, and that's where we've invested our time into making sure that we're visible, making sure that our, our reviews are Staying steady at five stars. <laughs> we want to keep it that way. So reviews, anything like that on, on Google has been has been huge. You weren't always a furniture maker. You you started this company back in 2017 and through your hard work and your wife's hard work, you both learned how to build this into a successful company that you can run full time. There are people who are trying to start a furniture company, and there's also people who are stagnant. They have a company, but it's not pushing forward in the way they want it. What's some advice that you could share from your experience in this industry that would help people who are listening today? I'm going to touch on two things with this question. Number one is network. Talk to other people who are either in the same boat as you or at a level that's beyond the level that you want to achieve. You need to network. You need to, you're not going to do it alone. So reach out and get advice and get help along the way from people who are willing to help you. If they're not willing to help you, then you know what? Don't invest your time in them. 
make friends and, and talk to people that are going to help you out. And I'll say this to anyone listening, reach out to me. If you've got a question, I will answer it. <laughs> I like to help. Secondly, don't be afraid to reach out to anyone. I don't care where they are in the world. I don't care. I've talked to people in, in Thailand, Vietnam, uh, Africa, uh, all over the world, just because you have that open means of communication nowadays. There's no holdback. Like, make that call, find out more information, be a, a, a sponge for information, and then that information you get, actually use it towards uh, what you're trying to do. You're not going to make it anywhere if you can't communicate. You need to be able to communicate with everyone. So it's a two-way street. So if somebody wants to reach out to you for information, which I can almost guarantee you it will happen, just become very good at communication is, is the key. Communication and community, two things that are very, very important for anyone who's trying to start their own business. And I want to thank you for sharing that and sharing the rest of your story. So thank you for that and wishing you nothing but success moving forward in your business. Ethan, I want to thank you for the opportunity to come on the show. This has been awesome. Um, this is exactly the culmination of communicating and community. So I thank you for that. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you liked what you heard and you got value out of it, please think about leaving a review and subscribing wherever you listen. To learn more about the series, please visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime with questions or guest suggestions to hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can find me at The Build With Ethan on Instagram. Hope you enjoyed the show and can't wait to bring you the next one.